Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of All That Jazz Podcast. Today we're remixing things up. I'm here with my good friend and a solid, solid MP, my friend Jamie Schmel. We're doing a remix, we're doing a collective podcast today, so I'm really excited and we have a really special guest today. Jamie, why don't you introduce him? We're going to have Richard Bragdon. He's a friend of the show. He's been on the Blueprint before from Tobek, Tobek Mactaquack, I'm sorry, from New Brunswick. Amazing host. He's going to host the show today. Hey. So a bit of a different pace to us today. So let's switch spots oh. because an orator of your stature deserves to be in this spot. <laughs> I, can, I can't even keep up with you. All right. <laughs> well, We're this live. You know, your, your, your kindness is overwhelming to the point of almost incapacitation when I begin <laughs> to think about it. But I, I, I thank you, Mr. Smell. And of course, it's always, always a pleasure to be with my friend, both of you being good friends who uh, are serving caucus together. And we got lots to discuss today. So I look forward to, to hearing from both of you. And it's kind of neat to be in the big chair today even though I'm totally inadequate to be here. so it's Well, it's us exciting. two fine peasants are just <laughs> extremely honored to be in your presence, my lord. <laughs> right? <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, what do I say? I mean, but it is, it is a joy to be with both of you, and I appreciate what both of you are doing in your files and, and uh, for the cause of, of Canada and the cause of conservatism within Canada. Absolutely. And, uh, Absolutely. Well, let's get right into it, Richard. Um, we've seen the devastation of, of Hurricane Fiona. And what it did around the Atlantic provinces, uh, give us a little bit of an update on what's going on over there. Well, okay, the, obviously the relief efforts are starting and underway, recovery. A lot of uh, trees have to be cleared, but there's still many people without power in the, in the Atlantic region. And obviously some businesses that have been devastated, some uh, fishing businesses that have been absolutely you know, devastated, and loss of equipment, farms that uh, have gone through some great challenges. So. Mm -hmm. There, there's a lot to be done, and I think, and I'll just say this, and I know we've got lots to discuss, but Atlantic Canadians are familiar with storms, and they're familiar with rough times, and we have always been the type that would come together in adversity, and we're a neighborly, friendly bunch. We work hard, and if, if a chainsaw needs to be gotten, and you've got to clear some stuff away, we'll do that. We'll probably throw the teapot on and have a sandwich <laughs> while we're talking about it as well. It, we're just friendly, good, hardworking people. But one thing Atlantic Canadians are concerned about is many are great, and especially politicians, that running in when the winds have just swept through. Mm -hmm. And when the storm is just fresh in people's minds. And yes, there's lots of immediate action and glad there's action taking place. But as you know, with any storm, long after the wind subsides, the waves keep coming. And it hits the vessel, it hits the shores. Mm -hmm. And I think what Atlantic Canadians want to know is, will the politicians, will our government be there, not just in the immediate aftermath of the wind, will they be there throughout the waves? And as the waves keep coming, and they have to try and put the businesses back on their feet. And they have to get, you know, their boats back in the water. And they've got to get their farms operational. Will we, as the government, be there for the long haul? Through both the wind and the waves. So. Good point. Um, how do people get to send help? What's your, what's your advice to anyone that wants to help out? There are some great organizations, and I know right now the federal government is doing matching funds with the Red Cross, so that's one avenue that, that, that people can go through for sure, a great organization, and they can go through there. And there's other wonderful organizations that are always on the ground in times of disasters, like the Salvation Army and other groups. So definitely, if people can make donations and help, and uh, that means a lot. And if you know of some people or have family that have been directly affected by it, reach out. Uh, sometimes it's in the days and the weeks afterwards when it seems like all the attention wanes, mm -hmm. but they're still stuck cleaning up the mess. Uh, knowing people are thinking of them means a lot. 
I think the cleanup efforts are, are going to take some time, and, and I would encourage anyone that can help out, please do. Absolutely. Yeah, I get in touch that. with Richard. This is kind of cool. I like the podcast. So we have <laughs> Jazz, who's got his own podcast. we got The Blueprint. But this really is filling a void that some people are looking for right now. They're looking for that different flavor for rather than the mainstream media that seems right. to have a narrative. I think this is a great idea. Yeah. So I guess the question is, is the government coming through? I, I know we've raised in question period a whole bunch of times that they're not coming through with the, the funds needed. Yeah, I think there's areas to it. I mean, obviously, the Premier of Nova Scotia has raised this. Uh, they wanted more troops available on the ground quicker uh, to help clear away the debris. Because if you're without power and you're without water, 24-hour uh, period is a long time, let alone days and weeks. So let's expedite everything, clear away any hurdles that would be there, and make sure we're working cooperatively with those closest to the situation, including you know the, the provincial government administrations, but also the mayors. But the federal government on his part can make sure the resources are freed up in there. And if there's need for additional, if there's need for additional uh, Canadian Armed Forces presence, make sure that they're loosed up to be able to be there as well. Uh, Jamie, I think you're right. This is, uh, this is great. That it feels like we have a good representation today. I'm from Western Canada. You're from Central. And we have uh, representation from Eastern Canada as well. Uh, and all of our colleagues um, and from all parts of, of Canada have been calling for uh, taxes to stop being um, mm -hmm. increased, and and especially the carbon tax, which is going to triple, triple, triple next April. <laughs> <laughs> Once or twice. Yeah. I wake up in the middle of the night and I get triple, triple, triple. Yeah. And and the thing is that if another storm were to hit next year, um, it would be even more costly for recovery efforts. And so when we look at people already devastated by the storm, we've been calling on no new taxes. Um, especially the ones that are coming up on January the 1st and April the 1st, as we know. Um, what have you guys been hearing? Same thing. I, I think, obviously, in, in what's tragic, anytime there's a natural disaster that comes through an area, uh, and it seems like immediately it goes to the whole discussion around climate change. Well, we all recognize climate change is here and it's part of what we're dealing with. But what is the right approach to it? Is it tripling taxes and somehow increasing the burden on Canadians that are already burdened by devastating circumstances? Or let's say, hmm, let's make sure the necessary infrastructure is built back into those communities, especially in the wharfs, some of the sections that are more vulnerable, that are able to sustain and be able to, to endure some of the more inclement circumstances we're going to be fighting. But also don't increase the tax burden on regions that are already disproportionately taxed as it relates to home heating. Atlantic Canadians are going to be disproportionately affected by this increase in the carbon tax. Already, according to the Nova Scotia Premier, 40% of Atlantic Canadians are going to be struggling with energy-related poverty issues. They can't afford to heat their homes because of the increase in home heating costs, increase in power bills, and the last thing they need is a tripling of carbon taxes. It just is going to affect everything. Groceries, heating, food, and fuel for the cars. And small town, Atlantic Canada, we have to drive to get to work. We have to drive to get our kids to sports. We don't have access to metros and subways in most parts of Atlantic Canada. So these types of taxes, while they may make the Prime Minister feel warm and fuzzy that he's doing something to affect climate, the reality is he's making the cost of living so much worse on ordinary Canadians. But it's not the, the super rich changing their behavior. It's, no. it's the, the, the people struggling to get by. That's right. And like I said many times, uh, I, I didn't coin this phrase, but I've used it. 
the government always gives you something with an open hand, but behind their back is the clenched fist, right? Mm -hmm. So the, the, the relief, which I think everybody needs, that if you're treading water just to get by, any little bit will, will help. Just like someone, you know, dying of thirst in the desert, right? A little bit of water will help, but at the same time, you're still in the desert. So at the end of the day, the inflationary crisis is still here. You know, the relief money comes, you're able to survive a little bit longer, but you still haven't addressed the overall problem. And I, I think that's the big issue. And how do you get prices down? Well, the Bank of Canada is trying to do that with interest rates, but you also need more supply, That's right? right? You need to add supply. So if we want to reduce the price of energy. Not only do we have to stop taxing it to endless degrees, but you also have to have abundance. Right. We in Canada have the ability to do that, but our government has handcuffed the industry that has been trying to expand for as long as I can remember. And the, the whole world's begging for energy. We have it. We just can't do anything with it because the Prime Minister says there's not a business case. It's mm -hmm. absolutely incredible. And on top of that, when you look at the carbon tax, they're, when they're going to triple, triple, triple the carbon tax, you have the Liberal government saying that more money will go back into the pocket of Canadians. But the, That's not true. the PBO yeah. is actually saying in four provinces it's not. With Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and Ontario, families are going to be paying 60% of them more in carbon tax than they're going to be getting back. And once they actually triple the carbon tax... People in Alberta are going to be paying close to $2,300 out of pocket for this tripling of the carbon tax. People in Ontario, close to $1,500. And we're not even factoring in inflation. That's caused by the government. So any type of saving, any type of help, like you said, is going to be vaporized. Mm -hmm. And then it's the tax on the tax. In some cases, yes, the GST true. or that's the right. HST on top of the carbon tax. This is not a time when Canadians need more taxes put on them when many of them are $200 away from insolvency in some cases or just living paycheck to paycheck and struggling to get food on their table and balancing and choosing whether I fill up my car or get groceries. That's right. And it is, these are tough choices that Canadians are facing from coast to coast. And I think the last thing they want to hear is governments pondering more ways to get their hands on more of their money. They're looking for who's going to give us a break when we most need it, who's going to stand on the side. And yet Canadian Canada has amazing potential that's unrealized, unbelievable potential. But we put a boot on the neck of our energy producers and our food producers at a time when we should be pressing for increased energy security and supply and increased Canadian food supply and agriculture. Those are our strengths and our pillars. So we've got a great story to tell. This government chooses not to tell it. Here, here. And on top of that, when we look at the environment, emissions have only been going up along with the carbon tax. They've never met. And they've never met a single emissions reduction target ever. Mm -hmm. So it's actually working the wrong way. And they're taxing on the back of hardworking Canadians. Absolutely. And, you know, when you have less money in your pocket, you have less money for discretionary spending, right? Then the slowdown in the economy happens because you're not going out for dinner as much. You're not buying the fun stuff. Maybe you're not going on vacation. Right? You know, work hard all year. You'd like a vacation every once in a while. But you start to have less money in your pocket. You start to slow that spending, right? And, and that's a very troubling sound sign, especially when the, the wage gains that many people have gotten in the last, you know, 10 or so years, it's been, like you said, vaporized by this inflationary crisis that we have. But we see no end of it because we're still spending. That's right. And we're, when the left talks about record profits, the government is taking in record profits at the moment. <laughs> That's right. They, they have more money than they've 
ever had before. And they still can't figure out the problems, right? The super smart people in Ottawa can't figure it out with all this money. <laughs> well, the surprise, answer surprise. is more money, clearly. <laughs> uh, and to keep printing money that puts this pressure on that leads to, as we know, inflation. And then, of course, to offset that, banks start raising interest rates, which, again, all of this leads to increased cost and pressure on the backs of ordinary Canadians. That's right. And this is something that I think a lot of Canadians are frustrated by. And we in the House have asked many times, while they're pushing for all these objectives to please I don't know who, really. Exactly. I think it's the left-wing climate zealots that want to leave it in the ground. <laughs> well, and yeah. they keep pushing those. Yes, those narratives. But I asked directly in the resource committee, I've asked some of my fellow members, I said, please show me and tell me and explain to me. I'm a simple, ordinary guy from the hills of Tobik Maktaquak, and I have a question that a lot of people have from across the country right now is, how is displacing Canadian energy that is produced and extracted under the strictest of environmental regulations, some of the best in the world, and replacing that with oil and energy from unsavory regimes sometimes and those who have far less or no regulation or little to none as it pertains to extraction? How is that better for the planet's climate? That's right. And I've never gotten an answer to that. And I think Canadians are starting to wake up and realize... This doesn't make sense. This isn't fair to our workers. It's not fair to our energy sector. It's not fair to Canadian jobs and Canadian workers. You can go one step closer, too. So, so according to the green Marxists, fracking is bad. Okay? Mm -hmm. Fracking for oil and gas is bad. In large part, what do you have to do to get lithium? You have to use fracking. That's right. Exactly. So it's okay to frack for a non-renewable... And they're called rare earth materials for a reason because it's rare earth. Yes. <laughs> but you can't frack for oil and gas, which That's provides a stable, tried and tested energy supply. That's affordable to the vast majority of people all around the world. That's right. It is absolutely incredible what these green Marxists are putting this, this country, and, and not only that, most of the, the, the developed nations through. Western right. world, you're absolutely right. We're, this is the critical challenge of our times, is... If we don't get energy security and food security right, it leads to all kinds of not just national insecurity, it leads to international insecurity as we're seeing geopolitically. The world needs nations like Canada to be a safe and reliable supplier of energy and food. And what are we doing right now at the federal level? What is the government doing right now? It is basically targeting those two sectors, mm -hmm. whether right. it's tariffs and taxes on fertilizers, well, you take away fertilizer, you take away food. That's right. Yeah, we got the clean fuel standard coming too. Yeah. And then Another you carbon tax. tax. This is on those who produce our energy and That's our right. food. It's going to cost Canadians and it costs the world. Well, the world needs more Canadian energy. We all know that. And Canadian food. And lately, there's been some very, very hot topics that a lot of us have been able to stand up for. Uh, I think the, the most recent one was uh, leaving the IRGC as a mm. terrorist organization here in Canada. We saw our leader, Pierre Polyev, at a rally in Richmond Hill recently with about 50,000 people. Massive. It was incredible. Our government will list the IRGC as a banned terrorist organization. It was incredible to see so many people come together to stand up for human rights, mm -hmm. for uh, the woman who was killed, Zina Masa Amini, and honor the victims of the downflight PS-752 that actually killed, the, the IRGC terrorist regime killed about 
80 of our Canadian citizens and permanent residents together. And recently we've seen our party continually ask the Prime Minister and the government to label them something that they promised. Jamie, you were around then. It was a unanimous consent in the House of Commons. They've had years to figure this out. It's amazing that they haven't done it already. The question keeps coming back is why not? How is this controversial? Mm -hmm. This This is a regime that is known to brutalize its citizens. Absolutely. And if you step out, out out of line, like the morality police, who mm-hmm. the RGC is also known as, they, as you mentioned, they have killed people. Yeah. Many times they've silenced. And, and the fact that Parliament said, yes, it should be designated as a terrorist group, the Liberals drag their feet, so they're allowed to fundraise, they're allowed to organize, they're allowed to recruit. It's, it, it's absolutely ridiculous. I agree. Uh, I, think, I think this is something else that really frustrates Canadians, is... When something is as clear as this is, something that is absolutely clear, why would the government not just do the right thing and do it now? When they hear these non-answers that we're getting in the House to this response and the sidestepping and, and, and the tap dancing around it, there's a frustration that comes that says, do we not know right from wrong anymore? Do we not understand the basics? Like, this is terrible. This is tragic. 50 Canadian citizens and 30, 30 of, of permanent residents That's right. mm-hmm. were shot down on a civilian flight out of Iran by that organization. It needs to be dealt with. I think Canada needs to step up. Uh, you know, when the Prime Minister has non-answers, it, he's denying justice for the victims, not of the just of the flight, but the families that continue to suffer that continue to be tormented by the fact that there are RGC agents here in Canada, like you said, Jamie. They're here organizing, they're planning, and raising money. Mm -hmm. We need to get them out. It is so frustrating that they cannot do the obvious on this. Step up to the plate and do what is right. When many of our allies, most if not all, have done the same, why is Canada behind on this? It makes no sense. Well, normally my program is about 20 minutes. I know, Jazz, your, your program goes a little longer. We have, sadly, these conversations always go so fast, but we got to get out of here. We got to wrap up. Do appreciate both of your, your, your time. Uh, Richard Bragdon, the, the host from Tobik Mactaquack in beautiful province of New Brunswick. Jazz, do you want to quick, do a quick promo for your show? Hey, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of All That Jazz podcast. Like, subscribe, share if you liked it. And, and same thing with my good friend, Jamie Schmill. We were honored and blessed to be in the presence of our kind sir, the, the royal himself, Richard Bragdon, a fine MP from Atlantic Canada. And we hope to see you another one. I'm, I'm excited to do more of these with, with Jamie. Absolutely. Absolutely.